My last gig on the sea before I decided I needed to retire was as captain of a medium-sized cargo ship. It started as a pretty routine voyage. Everything went well as the cargo was loaded. We left port on time. The crew was in good spirits, and the weather was perfect until uh, a few days in when we hit some dense fog seemingly out of nowhere. It was unsettling, but nothing at the time seemed worth any real concern. I left the helm in the hands of Frank, the first mate, and I went off to bed as normal. After a quick phone call to read my daughter a story and wish her and my wife goodnight, I hit the hay as usual. I was woken suddenly a few hours later by someone shouting and pounding on my hatch. I checked my alarm clock, but it was freaking out, flashing random times and changing every few seconds. I checked my watch, a mechanical watch my wife had gotten me. According to it, it was only about 3 a.m. I shouted for her, whoever was pounding on my door to come in as I quickly dressed. In came one of the hands with a distraught expression on his face. He frantically shouted that I needed to get to the bridge, and then he darted back out into and down the hallway without giving me a chance to ask any follow-up questions. When I made it to the bridge, I found probably half the crew shouting at each other. I tried to calmly get their attention, but I had to resort to joining in the shouting to get their attention after my polite volume was drowned out. I shouted words I won't repeat here, but I got them to shut their traps. They all froze to look at me as Frank pushed past them to explain what was going on. He told me that all the equipment had lost its mind. Navigation, radio, even the clocks and people's personal electronics. Said about 15 minutes ago everything just went crazy as we were finally coming out of the fog. He had managed to get someone's attention on deck and sent them to wake me and the rest of the crew. I went over to the helm and sure enough the whole console was freaking out just like my alarm clock flashing random nonsensical readings. Long and lat from the GPS was randomly changing along with the compass and time. Even the real compass. I know digital compasses are real. I just don't like them. Was spinning around randomly. Frank walked over and turned up the volume on the radio and filled the bridge with a disorienting cacophony of voices like listening to a month's worth of comms all at once. I ordered him to restart all the systems, really the only tech support method I knew, and I went out onto the walkway with a pair of binoculars, partially just to see what I could see, but mainly because I didn't know what I should be doing, and I didn't want the crew to pick up on that. Figured as long as I looked confident and busy, the crew would follow that example. I noticed the stars and constellations looked wrong. Not that I'm an expert astro-navigator, but I couldn't even find the easy points. Also, there was a full moon out when it had been a waxing moon the night before. I did a quick sweep of the horizon, not really expecting to see anything. I stayed out there looking at nothing and the strange stars for a pretty long time, but just as I felt my nerves were about settled, I spotted a collection of lights on the horizon. I called one of the crew out there to keep their eyes on them so we didn't lose whatever it was. After handling off the binoculars to the new spotter, and with his help, we were able to make a fairly direct course towards them. It was tricky without any nav aids, and the lights seemed to 
jump around a lot, but we did all right. As we got closer, and thanks to the sun cresting the horizon, even though my watch had it only it's about 4.30 in the morning, we were able to make out that it was a collection of ships. We could make out that the group was mostly fishing boats, and notably three larger ships. Some sort of U.S. World War II-era gunboat, and then two other ships. One noticeably better maintained than the other, but both looking like something out of the Pirates of the Caribbean or something. We tried to reach them with the radio, but of course the magical radio chatter had yet to magically resolve itself. While we were still trying to figure out how to communicate with them, the spotter called out that a small boat was leaving the main group and was heading towards us. We, uh, we brought the curious visitors aboard once they reached us. Their delegation consisted of a U.S. naval officer in his white dress uniform, and then a man in an old British officer-looking costume, and a man who frankly stunk and had a long, unkempt beard and wearing ragged old clothes. I would later learn he was allegedly a pirate. At first, they seemed polite enough. We led them to the mess, and I asked them if they'd like anything. The American ordered first, requesting coffee, while the other two asked for whiskey. The American sat down at one of the tables with his companions following his lead and sitting on either side of him. It was pretty clear this U.S. Navy guy was the leader, and in hindsight, it makes sense seeing as how they had the biggest ship. After the American introduced himself, I'm just going to keep calling him the American. I don't really want to use real names in this. And we exchanged some pleasantries. He leaned forward, resting his arms on the table, and said, Enough beating around the bush. I'm sure you fine folks have some questions. I know I did when we first got here. I appreciated his forwardness. I followed his lead and simply asked him what the hell was going on. He grinned at me as the other two snickered at my bewilderment. The American looked at me with a suddenly serious look on his face as he leaned in and in a hushed tone said this is one of those rare cases where the legends are true you've heard of the bermuda triangle i'm sure well that's where we are or where it leads to at least there's no way out of here every ship that's ever entered this exclusive nook of the sea outside of time is still sailing around here well, they're floating around here, or someone sent them to the bottom of the sea. I stared silently at the trio, my eyes lingering on his two anachronistic companions. He followed my gaze as I watched the pirate shoot his whiskey. Looking at his associate, he said, Like I said, the ships are still floating around here. Time doesn't really pay much attention to us here. Things don't really age like normal. Sure, fuel gets burned and we still gotta eat, but things don't really just deteriorate from time. He went on to explain how they ran their little outfit. The larger ships protected the others and were repaid for their kindness in fish and other supplies. He said people didn't age, but they still needed to be protected from those who do them harm. At that, he turned to the pirate and gave a little nod. Without hesitation, the filthy man stood, and in one fluid motion, 
drew a flintlock pistol from under his coat and shot Frank with a resounding crack. At the sound of the shot, two of my crew came running out of the kitchen holding knives, but froze in their tracks as the pirate drew a fresh pistol while the Brit stood and drew one of his own. The American stayed seated through the commotion, draining the last of his coffee from his mug. After a satisfied sigh, he started the negotiations, saying, Like I said, the fuel still burns and we gotta eat. And if you folks were armed... He gestured to Frank, writhing on the ground. Y'all would have fought back. So, we're going to take half your food, half your fuel, and we're going to need a cargo manifest to see if you have anything else to trade for our mercy. If you refuse, we won't be as friendly as I've been so far, and if any of your crew wishes, we do happen to have some openings for fishermen. A very generous offer, if I do say so myself. We're only taking half, and most of the groups around here drive their fishermen a lot harder than we do. I ordered the two crew members who had rushed in to grab Frank and take him to the infirmary, and to spread the word not to resist our guests. I took a long swig from the bottle of whiskey, and my throat still burning, I croaked out, Fair enough. They all grinned at each other, and the American shook my hand, telling me I was a smart man, and explaining the logistics of the transfer as the four of us walked back to their boat, making a quick stop in the galley for him to grab as much of our coffee grounds as he could carry. The pirate and American departed our ship, leaving behind the Brit to go through our inventory and figure out how much of our stuff they were entitled to. They'd be back at dawn to collect their spoils, and they wouldn't hesitate to fire upon us if we did anything they didn't like. Her Majesty's smuggish subject demanded I take him to our food stores so he could begin his work. I walked away, telling him to retrace his steps back to the mess on his own. I found the crew lining the hallways around the infirmary, sitting around waiting for some sort of direction to be sprung upon them, which was unfortunately my responsibility. I checked on Frank. He was alive and relatively stable, but he didn't seem like there was any chance he was going to make it without real medical attention. And we obviously weren't set up for any sort of surgery on that ship. I'll admit it, I had no idea what to do. It wasn't really the sort of situation that anyone prepares you for. To my shame, I put it to a vote. I brief the crew on the situation. We could cooperate with a man who shot one of us for dramatic effect, or we could resist and almost certainly die. The crew voted to resist. I still feel guilty for putting that sort of decision on my crew, but thinking back, if I hadn't, I probably would have made the wrong call. I sent three volunteers to go help our guests examine our stores of rope and bring him to the bridge. I made a quick stop at my cabin to retrieve my good luck charm, a picture of my wife and daughter in a frame my daughter had made for me, and then I made my way up to the bridge. It wasn't long before our guest of honor arrived, bruised, bound, and shouting a string of expletives. I leaned over our useless navigates, watching as the compass spun around and around, trying to decide which doomed act of resistance would be the most fitting end to our voyage. Trying to flee reeked of 
cowardice, and they'd probably follow us or shell us anyway. The other option on the table was to turn and face them head on, ram them with our ship, and hopefully take them down with us. At least then we wouldn't die as cowards. I looked down at my family photo for strength, I guess. I admired my daughter's handiwork on the frame. She had glued an assortment of seashells to the frame, along with a little plastic ship and one of those cheap little spherical compasses. The compass looked stuck, though, not spinning like all the others, so I picked it up and gave it a little shake trying to get it unstuck. Only when I picked it up, the compass rotated in its little plastic ball holding its direction. I stared down at it, mesmerized like a child playing with a compass for the first time, marveling at its magic. I proclaimed to the crew that we were going west. One of them asked in a confused tone, West? But I just nodded. I didn't want to explain to them that I had chosen west half at random and half because I'd been rereading The Lord of the Rings. With my daughter's compass, we slowly turned our ship west and And once we had set our course, we went full speed ahead. It wasn't but a few minutes before the other ships took note of our disobedience. At first, they just followed, blaring their horns, but that was soon followed by shells and cannonballs splashing down in the water around us. I don't know if they were trying to scare us or if it's genuinely that hard to hit a moving vessel. Either way, most of their shots missed us, though. The first hit was a cannonball from one of the old folks that glanced off our hull. Unfortunately, our luck couldn't hold out forever. They ended up landing a few good hits, first first grazing our side and blasting several of the shipping containers off the deck and into the sea, and it wasn't long before we were taking on water. It didn't really matter, though. We had made our choice, and there was no turning back. We sailed as quickly as we could, religiously following the $2 compass on a homemade picture frame. We went on like that for a fair while, at least an hour maybe. After the first barrage, their rate of fire dropped pretty significantly, probably saving ammunition for when they caught up to us. Still, every minute or so we'd hear the boom of their guns followed by either a splash or occasionally the sound of our ship being shot to bits. I handed over control of the helm, walking out with my trusty binoculars. I watched their ships slowly catching up to us. As I watched them slowly at first, but then more and more quickly, the air grew hazy around me. Turning around, I saw that we were headed towards a wall of fog like the one we had run into the night before. The Brit's profanity finally stopped as he stared slack-jawed into the wall of fog in front of him. I tried to ask him if he had seen this before, if this was the way out, but he just kneeled there, tears silently rolling down his face. He wasn't silent for long, though. A moment later, his breathing became loud and ragged, and the man's hands began to shake, and I watched as his thick black hair began to slowly turn gray. Before I had time to process what was happening, the young officer I had been watching was an old man, fell over dead as his body broke down into dust, leaving behind a pile of old bones. I dashed back outside, and looking through my binoculars, I watched as the crew of the ships following us quickly went through the same rapid dissolution. The two sail ships went first. They began to crumble, the sails rotting off their masts, with the masts 
quickly following their lead as the ship seemed to crumble, dissolving into the sea. The gunboat began to rust and groan as I watched her crew follow the same fate of the others, aging into old men before dropping one by one to the deck. One of her guns exploded, the metal tube aged and fatigued to contain her expired ordinance as it tried to fire. It was as if all the years they had spent in that forsaken realm had caught up to them all at once. Everyone went absolutely silent as we entered the fog in earnest. I listened to the hum of our engines as we passed back through that hazy gateway and back into the open sea. I slowly went back onto the bridge. Walking over to the helm, I saw that our instruments had finally been freed from their manic flickering, reading out normal and steady data. My hand shook as I reached for the volume knob on the radio and turning it up heard sweet, sweet silence. Back in the realm of the living, we made contact with the Coast Guard and evacuated our sinking ship. The crew and I, except for Frank, who had been airlifted to a hospital, were detained for a few days at a naval base. They had a lot of questions about how we had sunk our ship, and our story sounded too fantastical to be believed. A few days later, the investigators, after inspecting the damage we had sustained, ruled the incident an accident and released us on the condition that we never shared our account with anyone. After that, I went home and swore I'd never leave solid ground again. Got a job working in the office for one of the shipping companies and spent as much time at home with my wife and daughter as I could. And I always made sure to buy my daughter as many crafting supplies as she wanted. 